Want to do better? Then it's time to change the story. Welcome to our show about new visions currently transforming the world through the confluence of art, tech, and innovation. And now your hosts, Michael Ashley and Neil Sahota. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Changing the Story. I'm really pleased to announce our guest today, Scott Sandlin, the CEO of Cyrano.ai. Scott actually is a well-renowned hypnotherapist and uh, took a very interesting journey into the realm of AI, uh, delving into much artificial empathy as well as you know helping us communicate better. So welcome to the show, Scott. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, Scott. So as a visionary, what is a story that you would like to share with the world? Uh, to me, I think there is this great opportunity for computers to help humans in a new way. You know, we think of computers helping humans automate processes, um, you know, crunch numbers uh, and, and do sort of uh, objective data driven work. But I think that there is a real opportunity for computers to have empathy and to understand what it's like to help be part of improving the human experience um, at a emotional level. And I think part of that includes, uh, but is not limited to, um, AI-based therapy and helping vulnerable populations with emotional needs with uh, an objective advisor. I, th I think when most, most people think about the term empathy, they're not thinking about AI, robots, computers at all. So for those that, that they're, they're catching up with what you're saying here, can you, can you describe what you mean by that and how that might work? Yeah, like when I, when I lecture on this, people have a better understanding of what AI means than what empathy means. Like the difference between sympathy and empathy is really important. Uh, so if, if you say to me, I'm having a bad day and I say, I'm sorry, and I mean it, that's me being sympathetic, but me saying, how can I help? That's empathetic. That's me inherently wanting to be part of the solution or some way of improving it. Um, and so if we're talking about a computer that, understands that your situation at an emotional level can be improved and inherently is optimizing for that improvement. That's what we're, we're going for. I, I, I have to ask the question then, right? Cause you know, I always say that you can teach an AI anything you can commoditize. And I don't think people would go like, well, how do we commoditize like empathy? Are you saying the kind of the, the key to that is language? It, it absolutely is. Uh, you know, to me, the most valuable thing in the known universe is oceans made out of water. Uh, that's what you know, we're spending, I don't even know how much money looking for. But the second most important thing in the known universe is effective communication. And you know, if we find life, we say, is it intelligent life? And how we determine that is you know, something along the lines of their ability to transmit ideas. And the reason we can look into space is because of effective communication. It's the reason we run this planet. It's not thumbs. Uh, and so if we say the, the most important thing on the planet uh, besides water uh, is effective communication, we need to talk about what that means for a computer. Because right now, computers kind of suck at communicating. Uh, we use them incredibly well to communicate like this, but on left of their own devices, they're not good at it. And it's frustrating. Well, when you say that to me, to me what occurs to me is, well, people need to be better about, about communication, right? So how do we also get people better at this? And maybe it comes out of working with computers. 
Yeah, it, communication's hard. I mean, it's it's not an easy thing to do. We misunderstand each other all the time. I love my wife a lot, and uh, we misunderstand each other sometimes. We miscommunicate. Uh, my business partners and I need to have meetings where we clarify things, and that's totally normal. So, and I've got forty years of pretty high level experience talking good, um, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, it's a difficult thing for humans to do with the impressive brain that we have. Uh, so teaching a computer to do it means we need to agree on what better is. And, and that's a, a big conversation. So how, how did this all spark up? I mean, it's not, you know, I think humans would say we're the masters of language. It's not like a machine can help us. I mean, what kind of triggered you to go down this path? I was the executive director of a mental health clinic, um, and I had a front row seat for watching teen suicide double. And I, I had a mental health clinic in, uh, here in Orange County, in Newport Beach, and uh, I'd had a private practice and scaled up and went from just me seeing clients one-on-one -on -one to having you know about 10 employees, uh, all different types of mental health providers. And the goal was I wanted to work with um, adolescents, drug addicts, at-risk teens, like very much that population. And we did that for a number of years. We worked with you know thousands of people. And during that time, I was watching Suicides Double. I was watching, uh, oh geez, uh, Deaths of Despair increase. I was watching kids drop out of high school and college, great kids from supportive families falling apart. And I was just trying to scale that. And I built an online school and all that stuff. And I was like, this isn't what scaling is. Uh, scaling is not just having people, more people do it. It's having people be more empowered or uh, replacing people, you know, like we've done with uh, farming. And so I started doing homework and I did a couple of years of research and I figured out a problem in um, the AI space as it relates to linguistics because everyone's approaching it from a math side and you can't approach language from the side of math if you want to create effective communication. That's how you get right answers that are transmitted badly. And so once I saw that, I saw a real opportunity and uh, the rest is history. So I wanna go back to that phrase that you mentioned before, uh, suicides due to despair. And unfortunately, we're in a moment right now where a lot of people are despairing. Um, I had my father-in-law sent me a, a very sad text this, over the weekend talking about some, a college student that took their life uh, due to what's going on right now. They feel socially isolated. They feel like the world is bleak. How can we address this and how can we address this with technology, with the technology that you're, that you're creating, you're generating? Yeah. So uh, one of my favorite quotes is the beginning of wisdom is to call things by their right names. I just, I love that quote. And I think that's, we have to start by labeling uh, the uh, problems and assets that we have. And we have an unprecedented amount of kids killing themselves on purpose in America and in other countries too, in developed nations. Um, but just talking about you know home, just talking about here, what you're seeing is uh, a generation who knows that statistically they're going to do worse than their parents. Um, a, a generation of people that are overwhelmed by what we'll call fake news, uh, a, that have these systems that are wonderful systems that are you know dopamine producing uh, addictive technologies thrust on them early 
it's a real problem. You know, I look at um, when I see smartphones, you know, we all have a supercomputer. Um, and I look at Facebook and Instagram and all those things. What I see really is the story of Icarus, right? It's new technology that we don't know how to use right. And because we're using it wrong, we generate danger and we fall. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing 14 year olds given a supercomputer with no supervision. And I'm not blaming parents who are doing that. I'm, I'm, I'm not vilifying anybody. It's a complicated problem. But I see these phones as the cause of and solution to this problem. And it's, it's global user error. And right now we are watching a Greek tragedy unfold on a national level because uh, this thing is two thirds of the definition of God. It is all knowing and it is all present. It's not all powerful. But if you tell me that I'm gonna give two thirds of the definition of God to 80% of the 15 year olds in America, I don't know the right stat on that number, but most, you know, most 15 year olds in America have two thirds of the definition of God in their pocket and no training. And they know they can't talk to their parents about them because they understand the tech better than their parents. And there is no comp on cyberbullying that, you know, I'm a dad. I can't explain to my son what it's like to be cyberbullied and I can't empathize with that in the same way. And so there is this gap and we are very much on the fuzzy front end of that. Um, and so we need to start by just really addressing what's really happening and not mocking Generation Z for calling them lazy millennial snowflakes when they're none of those things. Sorry, I have one more follow-up question. Then I'm going to go to Neil. I, I, I have to ask because <clears throat> my child is five years old. I have another child that's going to be two this summer. And I listen to people like uh, Simon Sinek say the same thing you're saying, yeah. which is, is essentially giving keys, the key to the liquor cabinet, kids, giving kids the keys to the liquor cabinet, and just saying, go at it, right? We're, we're not giving them tools. And then we know, I mean, I, I'm guilty of it, uh, of, of being on my phone around my children. And I'm not, I'm not giving them a good model to emulate in some ways where I'm saying, get off the phone. So how do we both find that balance, use this technology but not raise another generation that's addicted to their phones, addicted to the dopamine hit that they received. How do we get around this, but not going away from technology, which, which we know helps so much. Right. You know, I, I walked into a room where my wife, my son, and my mother-in-law were all holding iPads the other day. You know? and, uh, and they all had their own screen in, in the living room, which has a big TV. They all had their own screen and their own content. And my wife was doing some work and my mother-in-law was replying to emails and my son was doing YouTube kids. Um, and all three had their own screens. And I said, hey, it's, it's time to turn off the screen and go outside. And all three of them did not like that. <laughs> uh, they were like, no, but I'm in the middle of something. And it, we would be hypocrites uh, if we just told the kids not to do it because we are doing it and we're absolutely modeling that behavior. And I, I'm guilty of this as well. Um, and I, I agree with what Simon Sinek is saying. I think that guy's brilliant and he absolutely is looking at this from the right perspective. Um, so it's, it's difficult and it, it requires all of us to get better at learning how to use something that has no formal training and is um, financially engineered to uh, pull in eyeballs and generate retention. It's, it's a big, big challenge. Um, and I, I like your example of the cyberbullying. And it's like, you know, I've never been cyberbullied. How would I ex understand that, empathize? 
but at the same time, if we're saying, hey, we're going to use like AI to help us solve this problem, somebody has to teach the AI. So, I mean, it seems like, is there a chicken and egg kind of problem here? I mean, how do we tackle this? So you've actually gave me a, a really good comp for this years ago. Um, you and I were talking, actually you were giving a lecture and, and it was the day that you and I met and you were talking about uh, Watson, IBM Watson made a cookbook, how did they do it? And they went to chemistry, right? The, if you wanna teach IBM Watson how to cook, you understand the chemistry of the ingredients. And, and that's what it comes down to is labeling the parts. Uh, and so what we've done uh, in our company is label communication in a different way, not based on sentiment analysis, which is a fine thing, but more of a lagging indicator. Uh, and to start looking at how words are used strategically to impact and influence the other person, the other party, um, and understanding that certain words move a, uh, one person down a certain path and another person down a different path. And to understand how to choose your words wisely to generate the desired impact. And so if we're building an AI that says, I know that this person based on their word choice is feeling something in the ballpark of this, and we want them to feel instead something in the ballpark of that, let's see if we can help get them there. Of course, the humans opting into that experience, uh, but you can do this with you can do this with words. You could do it in parts per million. You could do this with chemistry if you wanted to pull the hormones out of everybody and just keep measuring their their serotonin and oxytocin levels and adrenaline. But uh, that seems difficult. So what we're looking at is the comp there to uh, do it at a more behavioralistic level because language is a behavior. Going back to the language, which you said a moment ago, I very much agree words are, are so important. Um, but we, again, going back to young people, we hear again and again that young people are getting away from the written word, from writing essays, from reading books, and they're, we're moving to more of a verbal society, especially going back to the example you mentioned with your family, we're watching a lot of videos online. How do we cultivate an appreciation for words amongst young people and get people better at their words? So... I'm a Shakespeare nerd, and I like that stuff, and uh, I, I like the power of words in that. And, uh, oh, geez, what's the name of that actor? He's the guy who on the BBC of Sherlock played Moriarty. That guy. He said the way to make Shakespeare interesting to kids is mm -hmm. just to do it right. Mm -hmm. um, and, I mean, <laughs> that that sounds remember, simple. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all remember reading Romeo and Juliet in ninth grade, and it was awful because we all took turns being bad at reading it. Right. And, and if we just watched a great production of Hamlet, we'd go, okay, to be or not to be is about contemplating suicide. And I'm a 16-year-old kid thinking about that. Uh, I'll pay attention. And if we can get the people used to conversing and hearing um, I like the written word, but I'm not married to it. If we're moving to a society that has fewer keyboards and more microphones um, as an input device, I'm okay with that. Uh, as long as the underlying communication is being transmitted, I care less about the mechanism. Well, let me, let me maybe shift gears a little bit, but expand upon the language, right? Because we're talking about trying to help people that might have, you know, mental issues. Yeah. But, you know, I always liken that the work you're doing at Cyrano could really be expanded out across all forms of communication, right? So any kind of engagement, like a parent talking to a child, for example. Right. 
So, you know, I'll, I'll toss out something that probably a lot of people in the back of their minds are thinking about. What about dating? Is this going to change dating? Do I have to worry about now, you know, someone's trying to, you know, meet somebody else and they're like basically trying to get the right words, but the other person's like psychoanalyzing everything that's getting said. Well, that's, you know, it's, it's fair that we called our company Cyrano after Cyrano de Bergerac, which is about that. You know, a guy uh, wants to woo a girl, but he's not good with words. So he has somebody else teach him how and kind of whisper in his ear. Um, we've had multiple people approach us about um, building a dating app uh, or integrate with a dating app. And, you know, during the coronavirus is probably not the time to roll out a dating app. <laughs> Um, so, uh, we'll, we'll put that on the shelf for now, but if you think of it as relationship coaching, then, then there is something there. If, if you can say, look, the two of you have very different values and that doesn't mean you won't have chemistry and work. That means you should go into this knowing that you have different values and either that will be complementary or it will generate conflict depending on, uh, your priorities in a relationship. Uh, and a big part of this is about a person helping to discover more about themselves and, you know, using the tools to reflect back to them, which is really what good therapy is, is helping a person do self-discovery. And so if we can build a tool that helps them do that. Yes. Can we, can we give some dating advice on how to talk to a person? Absolutely. Uh, that's not even very difficult, but what's more interesting is if that dating is the process of a person learning to discover who they want to be in a relationship, not just how to get into the relationship, but how to build a good one, then, then that's an interesting tool. I think that's actually a really powerful tool point, right? Cause you know, we always think about this as like a communication tool. It's not really about just saying like, Hey, tell me what the other person wants to hear. So I say it, it's actually a way to forge deeper relationships, but I thought you yes. made a really interesting point. It's also a way for us, to get to know ourselves better, right? That's not something I would have naturally associated there. I mean, how, how does that kind of unfold? Actually, Michael and I talked about this um, when you guys were writing the book about one of the things that we talk about in like Eastern philosophies and Eastern traditions is about objectivity and letting go of the self. Uh, and I've got 20 years experience sitting across from clients. And I know what it's like to have my ego in the room with my client's issues. And, you know, AI is inherently egoless. And so it has the ability to be, if we get there, when we get there, the best listener, the most present, the most available and not projecting itself uh, onto the other person across uh, in the other chair, but to instead really be listening and then say, now that means what you're saying is this, and to present that in a way that is optimized for your ability to get the message and actually internalize it. And so if the system is helping you with self-discovery, it can do that 24 hours a day without ever getting bored or tired and wanting a turn. And we've all been in conversations with friends where we wanted to get a turn mm -hmm. and we were waiting to talk and the computer won't ever do that. I, th I think that's fascinating. I think it's ex extremely helpful for people that feel like as, if they're especially in a relationship where they don't feel seen or heard, having the ability to share that, even if it isn't with a person, but this, this entity is so helpful for their well-being. Um, I, I also wonder, what are some other case studies or examples of how it, you're using this right now 
uh, it's, it's a great effect. Yeah, so uh, we're doing a couple of things. Uh, historically, we want to, and we built this company for at-risk populations. Uh, and our go-to-market strategy is about having commercial impact to fund everything. And so we've, we've deployed this in a car dealership where we were able to increase uh, car sale conversions by 26% just by teaching the uh, car salespeople what to say. And to say, this person cares about facts, give them the details. This person cares about uh, a relationship. This person cares about uh, just big picture, bottom line stuff, et cetera, et cetera. So explaining what matters to that person. It wasn't you know, manipulative, it was just saying, look, this is what matters to this guy. Don't just try to sell what you're interested in, sell what they're interested in. So we've done that, we've done some other work. Right now we have a tool out that works on Zoom. And uh, the beauty of it is, is it works completely in the background and it just uh, takes the transcript of a Zoom call and gives insights on it without saving any information, without data mining any of the people on the call uh, with complete privacy in mind, because that matters. Um, being able to say, here's some bullet points about you. Here's some bullet points about the one or five other people who are on the call or whatever the number is. And here's where they are mentally uh, as it relates to the topics. Here's how to follow up with them and next steps. And here's how to have a better long-term relationship and big picture what you need to know about them. And so we just want to generate that as a email that goes out to people so that they can get to know themselves better uh, because it gives information about them. Uh, but it also their coworkers, their colleagues, their friends, their families, their potential customers, it helps them to understand how to have a better relationship and to see that you know people are different and in easy to understand ways. I get asked the big question, Scott. I mean, given that we're all in a virtual world right now because sure. we're all sheltering in place, does this become more important? Does it become much harder to do? How, how, how can Sierra help us? Sure. So we all know there's nonverbal communication and there's body language and there's all that stuff. Uh, and that's all, you know, very valid science. It's, it's easy to measure. And we, and we all use it without knowing it, right? We didn't study it, but we've experienced it. And we lose a lot of that in the world of Zoom, GoToMeeting, uh, Microsoft Teams, et cetera. And if we could just have in your Slack channel, in your email thread, in your Zoom conversations, something that's helping give you subtext, something that's helping you get the nuance of where this person is, or just reminders about where that person is, because you're missing it in the face-to-face, -face, uh, I think it makes things much more valuable and helps kind of close that gap that some of us are feeling, uh, because I mean, we're all doing, I'm doing Zoom all day, every day. You know, I'm doing four hours of Zoom a day. I, I, I don't think that makes me very special right now. Um, and so if I could, at the end of the day, have my notes taken for me by a machine that told me the subjective nuances of that person, I think that helps me be better the next time I'm on the phone with them. Absolutely. So let's, let's take this to uh, a further logical extension. Um, let's say it's, 10 years later, it's 20, 30 years later, what does the world look like to you based on the technology you're bringing? So number one, we're all talking about getting our own uh, digital personal assistant, whether that's Siri or Google or whoever, or you know, some company that doesn't exist yet, et cetera. Uh, 
what if that machine, what if that AI really understood how to communicate with you? Kind of like the movie Her, but uh, also more passive than that. Not just about the proactive relationship. I mean, that's a neat thing to explore in the movie. Uh, but what if it understood when you were putting things in your calendar, how committed you were to it and how likely you were to blow it off? And what if when you and I were scheduling something, my AI knew that you were going to blow me off? <laughs> what, if, what if based on the way you said, yeah, I'll try to stop by, my robot put you down in pencil instead of pen? <laughs> and uh, those kinds of things means that just that layer of work isn't in our heads. The same way that we don't have phone numbers memorized anymore, uh, it can do a lot of that lift for us and remind us of things and prompt us with things that we would otherwise forget. You know, Facebook reminds most of us of birthdays now. And, you know, it was my birthday a couple months ago and I got, you know, a billion happy birthdays from people who would never help me move. <laughs> and, uh, and okay, I get it. And I've sent those too. That's fine. Um, right. you know, but, and that's nice. It's not a bad thing. And what if that could be improved? What if that's the crawl and then the walk and the run is the machine saying, Hey, Scott, remember it's your anniversary in a month. Your wife hates flowers, but when you guys were talking about doing a weekend trip, she was way more excited about going to Napa than she was San Diego. So when you get in the car, go north. Uh, those kinds of things are the kinds of things that could passively happen in the background that would allow me to be a better person in my relationships because I have a relationship with my AI. Great, great points. Um, I think just to kind of wrap up here, because we are living in the COVID world and wondering about the post-COVID world. And I know there's a growing concern, rightfully so, about growing mental illness, depression, anxiety, addiction, PTSD. Yeah. How could people get to, to know more about you and share on the work you're doing and get engaged with you? What's the best way to, to, to connect with you guys? Yeah, so our website is Cyrano.ai. Uh, our, our Zoom tool is at insights.cyrano.ai and both work well. Please get a hold of me. You know, we've, if you go to Cyrano.ai, you can find me right away. If I'm, I'm easy to find on that webpage. Uh, but you're right, mental health is the issue. And fortunately, we were right on the verge of telehealth being a thing that works real well. And now everyone's been forced to try it with really great results so far. I mean, early results are, you know, the telepsychiatry, uh, teletherapy stuff is is booming. And so I think there's nothing but upside for serious, important, consequence-based conversations happening this way and to have people feel, you know, presence and heard uh, at distance, which is, which goes back to effective communication. Awesome. Well, thank you, Scott. Appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Uh, I love what you guys are doing. Keep it up. Thank you. Hey, if you like today's show, please remember to hit the like button and leave a comment. If you've been enjoying the Changing the Story podcast series, please subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you.